Hey, good uh, morning. Happy um, Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, today we are wrapping up um, our Joshua series. And, you know, when you wrap up something, there's a sense of closure and you look back and it sometimes it really goes by so fast. And, uh, you know, today I want to really talk to us about this idea of making the right choice, making the right decision. I and mean, we, we, we have um, big decisions we make and then small ones we make and you, in, in the leadership sector there's lots of books on how to make right decisions because you impact uh, your team and the people below you and hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of you that, that can get shifted in the decisions you make and it is so important to make the right decisions. But you know decisions um, and making the right choices, it's tough because we have so many options nowadays, you know, and some of the um, trivial little things, uh, we have so many options, right? And we have to make decisions every day to make the right choice. You know, there was a study done by a couple of um, psychologists, and they want to talk about how having so many options is actually detrimental to us. Um, and so they got a group of people, and they split them in group A and group B, and what they did was they told them, you're in group A, you're in group B. Group A, you're going to go into this room, and there is six different types of chocolates. And you get to pick two of them. Um, you can't taste it or touch it, but you get to pick two, but there's six. But group B, you have 30 types of chocolates in your room. And you get to go and pick two. So initially, when this was offered, everyone in group A said, oh, man, that's not fair. <laughs> like, I want to go there. There's a lot of choices here. Um, but what happened is, after they picked out their two chocolates, they came back, and they were asked to rate the satisfaction of the whole process of, uh, and the chocolates that they had chosen. The people who were more satisfied were those who only had six choices instead of 30. The people who had 30 ended up getting things that they weren't even sure of just because it was there. White chocolate, you know, oh yeah, white chocolate. It's not even real chocolate, but you know, I'll get it. Or, or dark chocolate, oh, so bitter. Why would anyone eat dark chocolate? You know, and, and it has nuts in it and whatever it is. And they ended up getting things they didn't even like. And they said it was, they didn't like the process. You know, we go through that all the time, right? And I was thinking about this um, where, uh, you know, we go, so, you know, like it happens regularly. You know, I go to Panda Express, and this happens to me, right? I go to Panda Express, and I have to make decisions, right? We all have to make decisions. And the first decision you have to make, and they offer to you, is what? You want rice or chow mein, right? But, you know, they give you an out, which is great, because you can say, I want both, right? So it, it, it's, I always get both. Let's get both. Um, and, and then the hard part comes, right? You, I get two out of this next 25 things that are out there. And, you know, if you're like me, you're saying, well, you got to get the orange chicken. Like, this is the original thing. You have to get the orange chicken. But then I should eat something healthy. I'm not, you know, I'm, getting, I'm not getting older. I'm getting older. Maybe the broccoli. But the stuff you want, the shrimp and the steak, it's all $1.50 extra, right? So you're like, I'm not going to pay $1.50 for four shrimps extra, you know, but it's so good. I'll just, I'll just take a sample, see if it's any different than the last. We go through that process, and then you sit down, and you are not happy with your choices. Like, ah, I got the same things, broccoli, and I got this fried chicken thing, right? Um, and we go through that. Uh, we, we make decisions daily um, on little things, but we make decisions also daily on big things. Here, in this wonderful section, in chapter 24, the closing, this is at the end of his life, of Joshua's life. And at the end of it, he gets to now relay a message. And the message he relates to the people is, hey, 
Choose this day to follow God. Choose God. Decide to follow him. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Choose God. And if you and if we had the privilege and somehow the opportunity to give a talk, give a speech, and we knew, man, my time is coming to an end. And, you know, when we are X years old and we know and we gather everyone around, you're going to talk about maybe one thing you want everyone to do. And probably as a Christian, you will talk about something like this. Hey, you know, trust God. Live for God. Don't worry so much. Trust God. And we would probably say something like that to our kids or to our loved ones or to our friends if we had the opportunity. He leaves this legacy. In order to leave a legacy, it starts with daily decisions. The decisions become habits. Habits become our character. And then it's our character that become the legacy. Years back, I went to a uh, a friend of mine's father's funeral. And uh, this was right out of college, and my, uh, his uh, father had passed away at, uh, I think it was like right around 58 or 59, very young. Um, and what compounded kind of the whole regret of it was he passed away at his last week before retirement. He was retiring that week, and he passed away at work. Um, and I still remember, because it was his friend who was a pastor was uh, leading the service. And there was a lot of talk of, well, he, you know, was going to do this. He had the intention to do this. And the pastor was talking about, yeah, I talked with him, and he was going to retire. And when he retired, he was going to come back to church. You know, he was so busy with work and his business that he couldn't come back. He couldn't come to church, but he was going to come back, and he was going to go take his wife and go travel. He was going to spend time with his kids, and he was going to do this and do that and help people and even go on missions maybe. And he was going to do all this when he retired. But the thing is, he didn't get to do that. And we have to make a decision Daily, we, we all have decisions. The moment you wake up, you have a decision. How am I going to live today? How am I going to now live this day? And you have a decision to honor God with it or to ignore him, right? And so we all have that before us. Um, you have the power to leave some kind of legacy. What are you going to leave behind? You know, there was a, a pastor at the turn of the 20th century named um, A.E. Winship. He was a pastor and an educator. And what he did was he did a, a study on the life of Jonathan Edwards, uh, the prominent theologian in our country, Jonathan Edwards. And he did a study, and he did a study about his legacy and about his family line. And he realized that the, the godly legacy that he had left had continued and continued 150 years in. And at the same time, he studied another man who lived in the same era named Max Jukes, Max Jukes was a man who had, was in and out of prison and uh, had caused a lot of heartache to a lot of people. And he studied him. And this is the conclusion of what he found. That Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy included, in his lineage, a U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, uh, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 85 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. All came from the legacy of Jonathan Edwards. His counterpart, Max Dukes, um, in his family line, there were seven who had committed murder, 60 thieves, um, 130 who had been convicted of a crime, uh, over 400 in his family line who were physically wrecked by their indulgent living. And this is the legacy that they left behind. 
Legacies start by our daily decisions. And this is, I think, what Joshua is trying to get across to us. It's interesting because this whole idea of making a decision or a promise, um, we have so much power in that. One of the things you can actually do is make a decision and keep it. You have that power. And that's in this context here, which is different than what we might, it's not so much of, okay, I'm going to do my end of the deal to God and keep my end of the bargain. This one here, it starts with verse 1 through 13 is all about what God did for us. And in verse 2, it starts out by saying, and Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God, of Abraham, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers have lived beyond the Euphrates and so on. He starts with Abraham. And the commentators, one of the commentators, Witzra, says this. That this verse in verse 2 introduces the Lord of the covenant who identifies himself in this preamble to the covenant. So what we see here, God initiated this covenant. And in verse 1 through 13, he goes from Abraham to Moses and out of Egypt and the wilderness and all the way to this point. He's explaining the covenant that God started. God made a decision. He kept his word to the people of Israel. And then now he says, how are you going to live? You are people of the covenant. You are people that's living in grace. How are you going to respond? Um, and you have the power to make these decisions. You know, uh, the late theologian Lewis Smeeds said this, among all the dimensions of the mature person in Christ, none comes closer to the character of our Lord than the daring to make a promise and the courage to keep the promises we make. He says, none comes closer to the character of Christ than the daring to now make a promise and the courage to keep it. Because this is what Christ is all about. And this is what the gospel story is all about. This is why the Bible starts in Genesis to explain that there is going to be someone who is going to come through the lineage of uh, Eve. And he is going to crush the head of this, uh, the serpent. And this whole story goes all the way to the gospel. This is him making a promise and keeping it. When we make a promise, when you make a promise and you keep it and you make a decision you say if I'm going to be there I'm going to be there if I'm going to stay and do this I'm going to get this job done the when you do this he says that is something that is the most similar to the character of our Lord and so you have this power to do this it's interesting because verse 13 kind of sums up their whole ex the covenant experience of what God has already done for them I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and orchard uh, and olive orchards that you did not plant. So this is all God's doing. He says, God has given you all of these things. How are you going to respond? And the response here is to make a decision to choose God, right? And uh, in our text today, I, I saw these three areas, right? Choose to fear him, choose to serve him, and choose to put away other gods. And I just want to comment on those three for us uh, this morning. First of all, make a decision to fear him. Um, decide to now consider him daily. Fear, I think there's, there's two parts to this. Fear means, first of all, okay, he is God. He is God Almighty. He is eternal God. So just out of that, we should tremble and fear him, okay? There's a reverence. There's a fear. But secondly, and I think more importantly, 
there is this idea of treasuring him. You know, um, I, I see a lot of us, and I know a lot of you are in the baby room as well, that are, you have a little one, and you care for the little one. This, and you tremble over the little one. I think about my daughters. I think about um, Ashley, you know, um, and, and, you know, we had this whole thing last week. She needed uh, baking soda to make a volcano, and she forgot to take it, and she asked me to bring it. I didn't want to bring it. I was like, just try to borrow someone's, you know. I'm like, I, your grades don't matter in sixth grade. Just borrow it. And she's texting me. She's like, I have to turn off my phone now. You better bring it, and you better not let me down. Now, do I fear her physically? No, but I treasure her, so there is a sense of fear. So I'm running around looking for baking soda, you know, and I get back, I rush back to, into the school, and I gotta run to the office, and they call her up, and here's the baking soda. I was like, and I, I told her, I said, I wouldn't do this for anyone else, right? I wouldn't do this even for your mother, I wouldn't do this. I was like, there's a sense of fear there, right? Because I treasure that person. And so it says, when it comes to God, you did this with people, you did this with your own children, you did this with your own parents and your friends, you care so much about what they think, you are so afraid of hurting them, you will go run out of your way to make sure you meet their expectations, but how could you not do that towards God? You have to treasure Him in this way. Choose, decide to now respect and fear Him. And I want us, it says here in verse 14, Let's look at that verse. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. There's a big therefore. Now, therefore, since verse 1 through 13, since God did all these things for you, since God initiated this covenant with you, that you would be his people, now, therefore, fear the Lord. You ought to think highly of him. You ought to trust him even more than your beloved daughter, even more than your best friend or your boss, you ought to fear God. This is God himself. So we ought to have a respect, a reverence. We ought to wake up every day thinking, God, is this going to please you or is this going to disappoint you? Is the way I'm talking, is this now bringing glory to you or is this like something that just is a turnoff for you? And we ought to consider God because we treasure him so much. We ought to watch the way we live because we love him so much. And that's our decision. Tomorrow morning, you get up, you go to work, and you're going to go to work, and there's going to be a group of people. I'm sure this is a Monday morning thing, right? Monday morning, you're going to get there, and they're going to be grumpy, you know, like, oh, gosh, you know, it's spring break, and, you know, everyone else is on break, and I have to be here, and I hate this job. You know, whatever it is, you have an opportunity to say, God, how do you want me to go to work today? How do you want me to go and work into this place. I could choose joy. I could choose gratitude. I could choose encouraging someone rather than bringing them down. I have that choice. So we have to consider God before we make these actions. The second part is this in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Serve him. Uh, to serve him is also mean, it's the same word as to worship him. Uh, people would go to the temple of their choice, of their God, and they would go and bow down and they would go through the services often. And here he says, when it comes to God, when it comes to your worship or your service to God, you need to do it. You need to make a decision. So you've made a decision to come to church. 
right? You've made a decision somehow to come to this elementary school, to sit on these uncomfortable chairs, to come and to do some, you know, have, have some time where you've, you know, you could be doing something else. You can go and pick up groceries for the weekend and take this and go get something to eat and go fix your car. There is a tons of things we all have to do, but somehow you've made that choice. And he says, you got to do this in sincerity and in faithfulness. Uh, the word sincerity is interesting, right? Tamim is the original word, and I was looking it up. Sincerity, it has the idea of completeness, of whole, uh, of entirety, being all there, like, you know, a, a kind of a word of integrity. If you're going to do it, don't go through the motions. And isn't this what the Pharisees uh, were called out by Jesus? They went through the motions, but they weren't really there. They went and did and said all the right things, but their heart wasn't there. And so we have to go and do this. You know, when I was in, back at uh, seminary school at Talbot and the undergrads Biola there, uh, some of you went there. And, but back in the day, and I don't know what it is like now, but back in the day, all the undergrads had to go to chapel. And it was like part of their rule. It would affect their grade and all this. And they would go to chapel, and they, I think they had to go to two or two chapels a week. I mean, it's just quite a bit, right? Like they probably go to church on Sunday and then they have to go to two chapels a week. And the way they kept tabs on them is they had this little swiper thing. And this is back in the 90s, right? And they had a thing and you'd bring your own ID, uh, student ID, and you'd swipe it. So all the, um, you know, someone's coming to speak and I go to chapel sometimes and the undergrads would come and they're all swiping, right? And, and they didn't do that to the seminary students, um, but they did that to the undergrad. And I, but then there would be a whole bunch of them, right? And maybe I would have done the same, but there would be a whole bunch of them that would swipe and look around, and they would leave, right? And they would leave. And I remember thinking, this whole thing is a mess. Like, what are we teaching these guys? So, okay, oh, it's chapel. We're going to go to worship God, everyone, but you have to do this. And then, oh, you know, I need to go catch up on my sleep, or there's some good coffee, or I got to go study. And they leave. And like, get rid of the requirement, how are they going to go to church for the rest of their lives? Thinking, oh gosh, I got to swipe somewhere. Like I have to be there. I don't want. We got to reform the whole thing, right? But sometimes when we go through the motions, we act like we are there. You know, when we come, when we come to worship, you know, when we come to serve God, when you go and open your Bible during the week and you, be all there. It doesn't do anything different. Don't come divided, but come undivided. Be all there. Um, sing every song. Read every word. Say your words carefully when you pray. And be fully there. Do this in sincerity and with faithfulness. Right? Thirdly, he says to put away, choose to put away other gods. Choose to put them away. In any significant relationship, other relationships suffer. You cannot make everyone happy and make God happy. And that goes against what the political correctness of the world says. Everyone's equal. Everyone's the same. Treat everyone the same. Everyone, you know, accept everyone, please everyone. You, but you can't make God happy while you're trying to make everyone else happy. He puts this here in the last part of verse, um, or verse 15. It says this, um, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose to say whom you will serve. It's interesting, there's a phrase, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. That means if it's undesirable. It's a literal way of saying that. If it's undesirable, even if you don't feel like it, 
I say, oh, I don't feel like this. I don't really want to do this. It's not something that is desirable to the eye. It's evil in my eye is what it's saying. Choose whom you will serve. So there's two choices here. He says the gods your father served in the region beyond the river. So before they crossed back at um, uh, in Egypt, the gods, your family heritage, maybe they worshiped a different god. Maybe they followed Pharaoh and whatever they believed. And that has been in your family. Either, are you going to stick with that? Which is very difficult to cut away from. Or the second, which is even just as difficult, is the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. The culture of the day. And this is when everyone eats and how everyone, you know, uh, sleeps and how everyone spends their money, how they raise their kids. The culture of the day, this is the gods of the Amorites. Where you live, are you going to follow that pattern? Or are you going to follow God? You know, any time. Um, someone, you know, they first get married, right? There's always that tension. And I've talked to a lot of couples about this. You know, he still thinks he's single. Right? He wants to go play basketball every other night and hang out with his buddies. And, you know, I'm at home. Like, what's he doing? Like, you know, we're married. And, you know, and, they, they, and I've had some discussions like that. Um, I was like, just give it some time. Like, you know, he'll learn the truth. And, you know, and you wait long enough, he can't even play basketball anymore. Don't worry about it. And next thing you know, you'll be wanting him to go play basketball, but he won't go, right? Um, you, he'll get to that stage before you know it. Um, but this is really, it's, it's a big choice he puts in front of the people. I remember uh, knowing a brother named John back, this is probably about 15 years ago, maybe more. Um, his mother was a devout Jehovah's Witness. And this was really difficult for him. He had met a girl in college, you know, and... They were dating. She says, I'm not dating a Jehovah's Witness. You need to come to my church. And, you know, so he started following her to church. And he would, they, they were coming to my church. And I remember sitting down and having to talk to him. And this was a really difficult conversation to tell this guy, hey, you know, whatever your mom believes is wrong, that your, your mom doesn't know the true Christ. And to, to tell him that is very difficult. I remember those counseling times. And I, I was like, you have to make a decision. Not just for your uh, fiance, eventually wife's sake, but you know, not for your mom's sake, but you know, what are you going to do? And I had to go and talk to him about that, and it was very difficult. And he made the decision on his own eventually to say, tell his mom, I'm not going to now go to the kingdom hall with you. I'm coming here. I'm a Christian. And that was really hard. And I, I prayed for him, and I applauded. I remember at his wedding, his mom wouldn't come in into the ceremony because it was at a church, and she was outside. And the whole thing was really heartbreaking, very difficult. And so these decisions he tells us to make, often we want to make simple decisions for God. But when it's hard, we say, God, God, do I have to? He goes, yes, you cannot make everyone happy and then please God at the same time. And we have to go to him in this way. We think that, wow, if God is restricting my options, he's restricting my freedom. But really, it's the exact opposite. And uh, Lewis Smedes, in that same article that I mentioned earlier, he says this, the paradox of promising 
is that we freely bind ourselves to keep the promises we make. We limit our freedom so that we can be free to be there with someone in his future's unpredictable storms. And I love that phrase. We limit our freedom so that we can be free. We limit our freedoms so we can be free. There it is the freedom. And you know, it closes by telling us here, in verse 31, as Joshua has passed away now, that young man that was first encountered by God to be bold and courageous in verse chapter 1 has passed away. 110 years old. The exact same amount of years as Joseph, 110. He passes away. And it says in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. There's one part here. Um, I want to highlight all the days, every single day, that during their time, he had that influence. And so we have a choice. You have a choice on how you spend every day, right? How you're going to spend this week, this Passion Week. And we, you know, went out of our way and made these videos and, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we're going to read the Bible and Mark 14 and on together. And how we're going to spend our days, how we're going to spend Monday, how we're going to spend my days here on earth. We have that choice. And what we have in front of us in this gospel message is Joshua couldn't keep them faithful till the end. You know, you go to the book of Judges and they're messing up again. And that's often like my, our lives. But what Joshua couldn't do, Jesus Christ did, right? And this is the, and I close with this thought, this is the, the culmination of the whole gospel story again. God initiates the covenant. He calls us. And then Jesus Christ on the cross, he says it's finished. It is finished. He completes it. He pays it. And so we are in a privileged situation where everything is done. God has paid all of it and is not dependent on us. Sometimes we view now serving God as evil in our eyes. Joshua says, yeah, but it's all done. Now how do you respond? I, I pray and hope that this special week that's ahead of us, um, that it would not just be a, a ritual or a religious week that we spend doing things that were uh, maybe out of habit if we're churched. But it's a time that we say, this day I'm going to spend it for God. Um, this day, I'm going to live in gratitude for the covenant I'm in already. This day, even though my world is falling apart, my life is secure ultimately in Christ. It's all done. It's finished. And how we would respond in that way. And so I pray for us. Next time you make a decision, and you pause and you think, and you make the right decision, and make that your legacy till the end. Let's pray. And God, we want to live for you. It's uh, no other way to live. And um, it's not something we could cram at the end or catch up at the end or do extra credit, God. It, every day just goes by. And um, God, if we can say, if people could say, boy, that guy lived all of his days for God. He tried all of his days to live in the grace of God. What a successful life that would be. So God, would you... Give us the courage to make the decisions. Would you give us the faith to make the promises and would you help us to look to you, Jesus Christ, the one who finishes everything for us. Uh, so we thank you. This week, this special week, as we walk with you, um, 
And as we approach Easter, God, we want to renew our faith again. We want to renew our commitment again to you. We want to start fresh again. And God, we want to draw deeper into you. And Lord, we have that decision here. So Lord, we don't wait for circumstances, but we go running to you. God, bless your church. Bless us as we try our best here. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.